Kiss kids had won it. Bobby Thompson had done it. And Yogi Red had cut all the wine. Rock and roll was being born. Marijuana we would scorn. So down on the corner, the national pastime went on trial. Talking baseball. Mazuski Campanella talking baseball. The man and Bobby Pella, the scooter, the barber, and the duke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque. Especially Willie, Mickey, and Yes, indeed. We are talking baseball here on the Man on Second podcast, part of Real Voices of the Game Productions. I'm Joe Forsara. We're up to episode 125. The network is keep growing. I'm joined, as always, by Dave D'Agostino, who produces the show. And and we're excited, Dave, because we got, we got a really special show today um, and a real top-notch guest in Hall of Famer Andre Dawson. Uh, the Hawk has not only been a great all-time player, he's also a Hall of Fame person and just one of the most respected uh, players and people in this sport. Uh, but before we introduce Hawk to our audience, Dave, do you got some announcements for us? I do. Yeah, we are excited about this. And when you text me yesterday, I believe, I don't even think I read the time, to be honest with you. You said, can we get Andre Dawson on it? <laughs> I could have agreed to 3 a.m. as far as I know. We're, we're excited to have them. But to our audience, we, we have 12,300 faithful subscribers now. Just want to remind you to continue to download, listen, like, subscribe, share it with your friends. Make sure you do that so we get credit for the, the listen. And it helps us continue to bring a, a quality podcast network to you. And uh, remain remember to follow us on social media as well. We're very active now. Now that the guys have gotten me out of the cave, I'm on Twitter uh, on Facebook, on Instagram, and I will respond to Twitter DMs, and I do one highlight question of the day, but I do answer the others. So as of this afternoon, we had 182 questions today, uh, DM by Facebook. So I don't even have 182 friends, to be honest. I don't know how we're getting all those <laughs> questions. But uh, yes, p- please continue to be active with it. And episode 125 on Real Voices of the Game, and Joe, I'll let you take over here. Yeah, yeah, Dave, thanks. And and again, Andre Dawson, Hall of Famer, played 21 years in the big leagues, started off Montreal Expos 1976 to 86, Chicago Cubs 1987 to 92, uh, played for the Boston Red Sox 93, 94, and finally returned to his home in South Florida, returned to his South Florida roots, playing for the then Florida Marlins 95, 96. Uh, of course, a Hall of Famer inducted 2010, eight-time All-Star, 1987 National League MVP, 1977 Rookie of the Year, eight-time Gold Glove winner. We could go on and on with the accolades and on the field. Um, post-career, uh, Hawk has been a special assistant with the Marlins, and that's where I got to know Andre and uh, really cherish our time together. Uh, seeing him at at the park all the time, and currently with the Chicago Cubs. Uh, Hawk, welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. And Andre, you got a big, I I just happened to notice this week, you got uh, the Andre Dawson Classic is going on this week in New Orleans. Um, And just briefly, it's uh, seven HBCU, historically black colleges and universities. I believe, Hawk, I believe it's uh, the 15th one of these. You're about eight or nine or so. Uh, played at the University of New Orleans. Um, Hawk, of course, attended uh, Florida A&M University, and they will be one of the schools participating. Hawk, can you just kind of take us through what this weekend's going to be like and what it means for you? Well, we have the 
uh, obviously seven HBCU schools participating, uh, kicking off uh, their year as far as, you know, getting their season started. And Florida and uh, my alma mater, is one of the participants again this year. And it's like you mentioned, it's going to be held at the MLB Academy in New Orleans and uh, at the University of New Orleans also. And it's a round robin tournament that, you know, showcases uh, these HBCU schools. It gives these individuals an opportunity to show their talents around the country. And I have had my name associated with the event that's going on year five now, what initially was the Urban Invitational and renamed the Andre Dawson Classic in 2018. Yeah, and, and just uh, obviously I'm sure you jumped at the opportunity to attach your name to it. And and as you noted, uh, it's a providing opportunity. We're loving to see opportunity for everyone in baseball, especially schools you know, that, that you went to and, and these HBCU schools, what does it mean to you? And what kind of feedback do you get when you get to new Orleans and see the response by the players, uh, the fans and so forth? Well, I'm one of only two HBCU players, uh, to be elected to the uh, baseball hall of fame, Lou Brock being the other. Mm-hmm. And when Major League Baseball reached out to me about attaching my name to it, I was pretty much in awe. I mean, I've accomplished a lot of accolades, awards uh, over the uh, course of my 20-plus Major League career. But for me, this was a no-brainer coming from an HBCU. I just want to make sure that, you know, I, if in any way, uh, could uh, be um, an individual who could make an impact or a difference on a player that's a product of an HBCU. Hopefully I can be looked up to in a sense that it's possible. Uh, it, it's possible uh, if you have the talent, the ability, you go out and someone take notice of that and give you an opportunity that your dreams can be fulfilled. And I was, like I said, I was in awe. I'm very excited uh, about that opportunity. And, you know, it ranks right up there with anything that I've ever accomplished as a result of playing Major League Baseball. Yeah, it is. And and then the MLB Network uh, television will be televising these games so the fans out there listening can can watch. And 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 Hawk, you'll be out there for it when you when you head out. And what kind of your is your role there as an ambassador kind of for the weekend? Yeah, I'll go out Thursday. I think Thursday is the first day. They'll probably just take some infield, outfield batting practice. The events kick off on uh, Friday morning, and Florida and them is playing the first uh, televised game against uh, Southern University. There will be another one televised later on that evening. But I'll just uh, I'll go out and you know uh, make my presence. Uh, known and seen, and I'll be interviewing probably during the first game. I talk a little bit, you know, about the tournament itself, um, exactly what it is, what it means to me. And I'm also going to have a guest that, you know, we're going to sit and we're going to talk a little bit um, about uh, 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 an issue that's very close to me, and that's uh, prostate cancer awareness. 
So it's going to be a, a, a couple of different things going on, but I just, you know, I'm going to make my presence there the first day. Then I got to fly right back on Saturday morning because I have uh, an event going on at my high school where they're going to uh, put me in the sports hall of fame. Yeah. You got a busy weekend and uh, no doubt. Uh, Hawk, do you, uh, Obviously, Lou Lou Brock passed a few years ago. Uh, did you and Lou talk about about that upbringing and and that background, both being from you know HBCU schools, uh, you know, in years past? You know, we never did because it didn't even dawn on me until uh, it was it was reached out. Well, when I was reached out to by Major League Baseball, then uh, it never dawned on me that we were the only two individuals. Uh, that, you know, were the products of HBCU. So we never really had that conversation. And there wow. have been, there have been uh, individuals uh, that have been drafted, you know, Tori Hanna, for instance, uh, Ricky Weeks. There, there have been some great ballplayers that have come through HBCUs and been very good uh, major league <clears throat> ballplayers. But uh, for whatever reason, you know, I uh, it never dawned on me that Lou and I were the only two individuals and we never really ever had that conversation. Yeah. How did you end up at at, at FAMU? Because you're from South Florida, obviously. Yeah, you know, I, I got hurt playing high school football my senior year, so I really didn't get any scholarship offers. My high school coach took me to the local junior colleges and even the University of Miami, and their allotment for baseball had already been used up. So I, uh, I actually tried out for the Kansas City Royals Baseball Academy uh, as a, a senior in high school, and they said that I didn't really run, run the, the the 60-yard dash fast enough. Well, I did have a distracted knee brace on. <laughs> However, I uh, I was one of three individuals invited back for the third and final practice day, but none of us made it. And there was a, there was a scout with the Royals who was a coach at Florida State, and he made a comment to me. He said, um, said, Mr. Dawson, if you're interested in playing at the next level, which was college, he said, why don't you go to Florida State and go out for the baseball team? Well, I had three uncles uh, that uh, did attend Florida A&M University, which was across the train tracks from Florida State. And that was a viable option for me going forward. So I, I thanked him uh, for the advice, and I did go to Tallahassee. I went, went out for the baseball team at Florida A&M. I made the team as a freshman walk-on, and I made the, made the starting lineup also as a freshman. Wow, you are – you know, it's, it's amazing because I remember watching your career and just what an amazing player you were to realize that it your path wasn't exactly the easiest, you know, to get that opportunity. And, and it just shows that, you know, any level, as long as you get an opportunity, right, Hawk, whatever the college is that, that opens that door for you, that that path can still be there. If, if you, you know, you know, if, if things fall right and you do your part. Yeah. You know, I grew up uh, being instilled with believing in, you know, your ability, yourself, setting goals and uh, just always putting your best foot forward. And I can remember as far back as early childhood, the only thing when I was introduced to the game itself, the only thing I really wanted to do is um, play at the next level. And when I got to middle school, to high school, it was, again, 
play at the next level. And by the time I was in college, I uh, just said, you know, I, I believe I can play at the professional level, you know, if things, the path continue the way it's been going. And, you know, the opportunity presented itself, and I just tried to make the, make the most of it. My grandmother wanted me to pursue an education first and foremost, but I just, you know, wanted that, that opportunity. And once I continued to still have success at the college level and get drafted, you know, your dream is, is fulfilled. You, you sign a professional contract, but that's just a part of it. Now you got to get to the big leagues, get through the minor league system, get to the big leagues, and then, you know, you, you've arrived. Once you get there and uh, you have a little success, you know that you, you've arrived. You just do the things necessary to try to stay there. Yeah. Uh, Dave, jump in. Yeah, and I, I agree. It's a war of attrition all the way through. And I always believed, Andre, if you love it, nobody can ever take it away from you. And those guys that love it have a tendency to last a little longer than their counterparts. Who, who helped you learn how to love the game early on? And all the way up from when you first got introduced to it to even some influences, you know, through your major league career? Well, my my uncle, um, it actually was my last uncle that just passed away this past November. He was the one that introduced me to the game, and he was more like a father figure to me. Uh, he bought me my very first fielder's glove. And I I got a lot of counseling early on. And then one of his brothers uh, that attended Florida and m also played baseball. He was drafted in the Pittsburgh Pirates minor league uh, system. He went through, I guess, as high as double A. So I, uh, I had a lot of household talk about the game of baseball. They were L.A. Dodger fans at the time. And growing up, you know, we only saw uh, Saturday game of the week. So I uh, took a special liking to individuals like Mickey Mantle, Willie Mays, Hank Aaron, because they always stood out and were in the limelight. But it was just, I think, that initial uh, introduction to the game itself that kind of set me on that path. And like my grandmother would always say, you just, you know, surround your people I would surround yourself with the people that are motivational, inspirational, uh, who are going to help guide you along the way. And, you know, the rest is up, up to you. Work ethic is is important. And I just try to, to be impeccable with that. So I look back. Uh, it, it, it just depended on uh, where I was and at what point in my life who, who really made the, the impacts on me. There are a lot of individuals you you can't just label one or two there are a lot of people that played a huge role but uh the initial impact was from my uncle yeah the uh you know today's kids they have expensive swing coaches and throwing coaches and and whatnot i always get asked that i have a swing coach when i was growing up and, and in the minors and i didn't until i got to professional baseball how did you learn how to hit and throw properly well, I, I did something uh, I probably uh, would, would frown on now because I, I convinced my brothers, uh, even my sisters, to throw me rocks. And I would swing at the rocks uh, with a broom or a mop handle that I used as a bat. And I told them, once you throw it, make sure you duck so that I don't hit it right back at you. And um, I kind of coaxed them into doing this by offering to give them whatever snack was available. And they were all on board. So 
I developed, I think, hand-eye coordination because I was able to hit uh, rocks with uh, with a stick. And, you know, I, I, I played all over the field when it came to a position. So I was, I was pitcher, third baseman, shortstop, uh, outfielder. But I think uh, my, 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 my throwing arm sort of developed late, and that was probably once I got to college and, you know, into uh, minor league baseball. But I always felt that I, I, I had the, necess- the, the essential necessary tools uh, to perform well. I didn't want one area of play to overshadow the other. So I took a lot of pride in going out and working on my defense as well as taking batting practice. What was your approach in batting practice? We, we sat, when we go to games nowadays, I remember playing, it was mandatory. It was, we didn't even think otherwise. Nowadays, you don't see guys out there as much for batting practice. When you stepped up to the plate in BP, whether it was in the cage or before a game, what kind of things were you working on? Uh, it depends. Uh, if I was struggling, uh, I would try and visualize, okay, uh, what am I having problems with at this particular time? And if it was the, the ball away from me, I'll get off the plate and just, you know, work uh, the other half of the field. Uh, if, you know, I felt that uh, I needed to um, work on uh, the breaking balls, I'll have the machine set up so that it would throw me only breaking balls. But I wanted to just not use too much of my body doing batting practice, but just let uh, my hands do most of the work. Sometimes I would spread out. I would use the no stride so that I was really geared and locked in onto letting the ball travel and get to me and not having any movement with my body. But uh, my approach uh, game time was making the adjustment, uh, whatever the situation called for, adjusting to uh, how you were being pitched and trying to eliminate, if you could, the strength of what the pitcher was. Uh, obviously, they're going to attack uh, a certain area of what they may be considered not your strength. And you got to just, you know, kind of react to that. It, it, it's sort of like a cat and mouse game. So you're constantly always making adjustments. Uh, no at-bats are the same. You're always going to learn something. And, you know, I just tried to make sure that uh, I was able to make the adjustment from, from at-bat to at-bat and from game to game. What was your perceived weak point by the pitchers? Uh, they like to come up and in to back me off the plate and then go breaking ball down and away. I was a on-top-of-the-plate hitter, so I wanted the ball middle in. I felt that was my strength. Uh, if, you know, I felt a guy had uh, a, a, a good breaking ball, if it, that was his dominant pitch, then I'd kind of square up middle of the box and think more or less gap to gap, try to stay in the middle of the field as opposed to pulling the ball. But if it was a power pitcher, uh, I looked at that as strength on strength. A guy that throw mid-90s plus, uh, I, I wanted to make them try to work an inner half to me so that I could actually turn and get the bat head to the ball, you know, as, you know, it, it kind of made, made its way to the strike zone. Hawk, did you consider yourself, were you like a hitter who – the power emerged or was it kind of simultaneous? How, how in your upbringing did those two come along? 
you know, I, I never considered myself as a power hitter. I think I saw first signs of it in college. I I hit a ball in 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 a game one day. Actually it was an inner squad game. And the coach said to me that the left field, our, our dimensions were so ridiculous. Left field was three seventy three and the gaps was four oh five. Straightaway center was over five hundred feet. <laughs> and I hit a ball uh, to left field that cleared the fence. It landed in the street and bounced over across the street to the gym. And there was silence uh, that came over the field. And the coach looked at me and he, he said to me, son, he said, that's never been done before. And then I did it again. And I, I said, well, you know, I'm not a big, big guy. I was kind of scrawny. Um, maybe at tops 180 pounds. And when it happened a second time, uh, I was like, wow. And I did lead the team, however, in home runs. Uh, but I was drafted and I went to rookie ball. Uh, at the end of my junior year, I got drafted. I went to rookie ball. And for that two-month stand, I broke Steve Garvey's uh, Pioneer League records, and that was home runs and runs batted in. And I was promoted from rookie ball the next year to double A, where I was leading the, the league in hitting after the first month. I got the promotion to triple A as a result of an injury at the big league level with two outfielders. And in my first 14 games of triple A, I hit 12 home runs. And I said to myself, uh, no, this can't be this easy. Uh, <laughs> well, I I had a, a an awakening once I did get to the big leagues because now you're facing uh, the best pitching uh, in the world, actually. And these guys have an idea. They can put the ball just about where they want to. And they realize your strengths and your weaknesses early on. And, uh, you know, now they, they know how they're going to attack you. But – I kind of struggled at the outset. Uh, I did get it going, I guess, uh, once this, this season started uh, my rookie year at the end of the first month. I uh, was playing on an everyday basis at that point. I hit my first major league home run, and then I went on ahead and won the Rookie of the Year award. But uh, I, I would say my power uh, kind of emerged right at the point of when I got to, to double-A and I was able to, I think, see uh, what uh, quality pitching was and how selective you had to be. And these guys would give you a pitch to hit. You just couldn't miss it. Yeah, yeah. Um, how much pride you take in, obviously, you're, you're a complete player, but how much did you work on that and, uh, you know, just the, the hitting as good as you were, your eight-time gold glover and – you know, the defense and the, and the base, you know, everything. How how important was that to you to be as rounded and a complete player as you could be? Well, I was told at the outset that uh, you'll be lucky if you play four years. That was the average lifespan of a major league. And I set a goal to play 15 years. And I knew I had the, the foot speed to steal bases. Uh, the arm still was... Uh, a work in progress because I did hurt it in college 
once the coach moved me to shortstop to press another kid. But uh, I always liked the aspect of hitting for average. I felt that uh, if you hit, you get three hits, which you were told out of 10 at bats, then you were considered a success. So I wanted to, to hit for average, realizing that I had raw power. So I, I just didn't want one aspect of my game to overshadow the other. So I took to heart uh, being as complete a ball player as I could be, and I just tried to work on all of the aspects. When did you realize, because a lot was made of, you know, obviously you, you being with the Expos and part of that really good outfield that everyone talked about when you were a rookie, um, to be part of that group, you know, with Ellis and, and Cromarty, did to, 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 you know, be the players that you were. How much did that push you guys? Well, I was probably the third guy on the totem pole when it came to uh, who would likely, uh, who would be the one most likely to succeed. Uh, Ellis uh, was a high draft pick coming out of high school. Cromartie was a high draft pick uh, at the end of uh, his junior college stint at Dade North. And I went in the 11th round in 77. We were all a matter of a, f- a couple of years apart. And when we all came up very young and played in the outfield together, you know, we were touted as the, the best young outfield in the game. And what we tried to do was uh, we tried to feed off of each other. We knew what the strengths and weaknesses were, especially when it came to playing defense. So we um, we communicated real well. We worked together real well. And and we were a proud, proud group to know that, you know, hey, all of us at some point did perform uh, a little bit together in the minor leagues. And now we're in the major leagues. And, hey, let's see what we what we really have. How much you – I mean, the Expos are a fascinating franchise because we know how many great, great players. And um, how – in hindsight, you know, how the fact that you were drafted – by them and were developed by them and they had so many good players. Was it, you know, do you feel like, man, that was an amazing fit when you look back that that was the right place at the right time? <laughs> well, when you're an expansion team and you don't have a lot of success early on, uh, that means only one thing that you're probably going to get a lot of, <laughs> a lot of good draft picks, a lot of early <laughs> draft picks. Um, such was the case. They did a phenomenal job that is their scouting department with a lot of the players that they picked. And uh, a lot of the players um, uh, that came up through their system uh, that played in, 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 in the minor leagues, uh, you look, you look back at that and, you know, you, you grade yourself um, in the, the class of an A uh, when it comes to developing your own ball players and getting them to the, to the big leagues. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's amazing, and I know, obviously, with with Cromartie living down here and, and and seeing Warren all those years and and seeing him at the park, and um, and you guys always always could share share Montreal. Uh, talk about, I mean, you you've seen the game today, obviously. Now uh, you're active still with with the Cubs, and and you you were with the Marlins for for many years, seeing you know they're really good outfield developing. It, Yelich, Stanton, Ozuna, and so forth. How are you seeing the players today in their development and their and where the sport is right now? Well, the development wise, I think 
players today, when I look at a lot of players today, uh, I mainly look at the outfielders uh, because that was my forte. And when I was with the Marlins, I uh, enjoyed working with their outfield instructor. The guy would lean on me a lot, uh, whoever the coach was, uh, when it comes to um, expertise, uh, strategy, and so on. And uh, I just, you know, tried to base uh, most of what I would work with them with uh, from experience. And I, I, I took a special liking toward uh, footwork. Uh, for me, that was, that was very uh, critical. And the one thing I think that was missed was they, they stopped taking infield and outfield practice. And I felt that that was how you really found your range and, uh, you know, you worked on your throwing to the bases. They would do it occasionally uh, during an early workout, but they didn't do it every day. And I think that was uh, that was a lost commodity when it came to defense, especially for the outfielders. But I, I noticed that, you know, a lot of times when they got to the big leagues, uh, their footwork was all over the place. Uh, their positioning uh, wasn't what should have been worked on in the minor leagues. And once they they got to the big leagues again, um, they just seemed to be a little bit lost when it came to working on that. And it took some time and effort for them to grasp what it was and how you were supposed to perform uh, those aspects properly. Uh, it's a faster game once you get to the big leagues and mistakes will be picked up and they will be uh, taken advantage of. So, I just tried to hone in on the fact that, look, at this level, this is how you play the game, and uh, I'm not going to beat you up or critique you too much about it. You just got to go out and practice it. Yes, I'll work with you, but, you know, I just didn't want to put myself in a position of having anyone feeling like I was stepping on their toes or anything, but just practice the game the right way it's supposed to be practiced and, and performed at this level. And, you know, your mistakes will be minimized. So I, I, I see a lot of things about the game, uh, how, it, how it's changed. Um, when it comes to offense, guys striking out, not caring about striking out, uh, hitting in the, the low 200s, uh, not being overly concerned as long as power numbers are up. I, I always believed in speed pitching and defense. Uh, I would always take my chances with that. But. I think, in a sense, analytics with the role it's played in the game today, it has its place, but you know, it, it's it's harped on too much. Uh, too much emphasis is being placed on it. I just feel that uh, there are more ways you can win a ball game as opposed to waiting for a big inning with the home run. And it can be a tough yeah. game to watch. It can it can be a really tough game to watch. But uh, you know, everyone sees what everyone else is doing and. They follow suit, and uh, before you know it, everybody's doing the same thing. But I always just felt that certain teams, when you do that, you're only built for the season. And when it comes to postseason, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna really have problems because the other teams may may have a little different approach. So it, it, it it's a game today that uh, has really made a lot of changes. But I think everything sort of has its place and it comes around. Uh, I, I do feel that at some point uh, you'll be back to seeing baseball played where 
you know, you're having a little bit more fun and exciting offense in the game. And that's um, not eliminating uh, stealing uh, the hit and run and, you know, putting the ball in play a little bit more. Oh, I think so, too. And I think I was going to get your thoughts on some of these rule changes you know the the elimination of the shift, the, the 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 bigger bases, the the pitch timer where the pitcher has to get the ball to the hitter much faster, and only being able to throw over a couple of times, and you know on a, to hold a runner on. How do you see that you know changing the game? Uh, obviously, it will. Do you think it'll be a positive change? I, I think so. Uh, it has to be a positive because now. Um, you're talking about each individual focusing on what it is he have to do uh, when it comes to that change. Uh, the shift definitely uh, will add some more offense. I never could really understand uh, why a big league player uh, couldn't make the adjustment when it came to the shift, just backing off the plate and letting the ball be a little bit further away from you and use the more of the middle of the field, uh, something they work on every day in batting practice. But uh, I think I think these changes uh, will have a positive effect on the game. Uh, how much, you know, it just really remains to be seen. Okay, you know, obviously spring training has started up, and I've already been up to to Jupiter once, and uh, just kind of you know the load management aspect of the sport has changed the amount of time guys are on the field, uh, and it hasn't even been you know more even recent years, even five years ago, is it kind of different spring training uh guys you know are getting seem to be more get their timing down they're already in shape for the most part but are they are you seeing spring training being used the same in terms of getting the quality work to do things like you said earlier like working on footwork or or other aspects to finer points of the game uh not as much not as much as in uh my era anyway uh, it's it's more emphasis on uh, fundamentals on a particular day, uh, given what the fundamentals you want to work on. Uh, but it is geared more toward uh, getting your time in a little bit quicker because our players today uh, want to come to spring training already knowing that they're in shape. Uh, the, the, the attitude I had was uh, my offseason was – my spring training, I just needed a week to see the live arms, and I felt that I would already be uh, in opening day uh, condition. But, no, it's it's really not the case. You need to allow the arms, uh, that's the pitchers, uh, to catch up and get their work in. I think it's more critical for them. But for position players, uh, you do have a routine, uh, but for some, for, for whatever reason, all of that has has been sped up now, and you're noticing that they're not out on the field as long. Yeah. Dave, Dave you got something? Yeah. Uh, Hawk, in your time, the, the role of the veteran, I think, was pretty important to the development of young players. When, when you're on the field now, do you see the role of the veteran player in relation to the rookie the same, or has it changed? I, I see it to a certain degree. When I was playing, uh, we embraced the veteran uh, leadership. I had the opportunity very early on to play with Al Oliver, who was the consummate uh, professional, in my opinion, Pete Rose, uh, Tony Perez, uh, who uh, later on, uh, post career, I had uh, the opportunity to work with for 15 years, I work alongside of. 
And uh, these individuals, again, you you looked uh, for guidance from them, especially at, at that level, uh, because you uh, still had a lot of learning to do. And uh, the difference I see today, well, when after a game, uh, when I was playing, uh, you have the veterans. A lot of times uh, you had a table out in, in front of the clubhouse. They'd, you know, go and sit at the table and they may have a beer and they'd discuss uh, events that day that may have occurred during the course of the game and uh, what you need to do to make adjustments and uh, how do you go forward from there. Um, you don't really see that uh, a great deal anymore. Today it's it's these guys, everybody has a different direction they go. They have limos outside waiting uh, to take them wherever they want to go. So they're all off in two different directions and you don't really have that um, togetherness uh, after the game, maybe a little bit more so before the game because I think now they're at the ballpark a lot earlier uh, than was perceived when I played. But the, the veteran leadership, it, it's important. Um, and I, I can't speak enough on it because uh, you, you, you get to that, that particular point and you want to make sure that everybody's on the same page. You want to know what it is or what it takes uh, to stay uh, be productive at that level. And uh, when you have that veteran guidance and leadership, there's nothing else to lean on. Yeah. Dave, you got to follow up? Yeah. What, what are some, if you, if you recall, what are some tidbits that some of those veterans may have laid on you early on that maybe you passed on to some younger guys like a Tim Raines as he came up? Well, to be mindful of uh, your off the field antics, um, you know, you never know who's watching. And uh, that's why you want to, you know, make sure you keep a clean slate. Uh, I usually turn to the veterans uh, for on the field leadership, on the field activities, because uh, you're critical of how important it is to get your rest after the game. But, you know, after the game, it depends on who the certain individual is that'll determine you know, how you're going to encounter, uh, where you're going to go or what you're going to do after the game. But, uh, you know, I look at um, myself. I like to make myself an example. I, I was young and I had a, a young Tim Raines uh, who was in the game. And uh, he, you know, had the wrong guidance very early on. And he turned to me, a young player, as opposed uh, to a veteran uh, because of my work ethic. Uh, at the ballpark uh, in the clubhouse, and he made a comment to me one day, and he said, "I want to, I want to be just like you. You know what my problems are." And I didn't really know how to take that, saying, "I want to be like you," other than, "Well, this is what I do at the ballpark." So you, you, you know, you have those those individuals who means just that little bit more, little bit more to you that are in your everyday presence, and that makes a difference, you know, and how you grow and develop uh, at that level. Thank God you got him because he, he lasted a long time as well and, and had a very productive career. And uh, it's good to hear that you had a good hand in that because he, he gave the fans a lot of excitement. And hopefully he impacted somebody along the way too and paid it forward. Yeah, Timmy was, he was exciting. Uh, he was like a little brother to me uh, once, 
you know, I, I got to know him just that much better. Uh, being a teammate, he, he did something uh, that it was, you know, uh, astounding to me. He he had a son that was born on the, my birthday, July 10th. He named his son Andre, and he made me the godfather. Oh. And, uh, you know, now I was like, okay, now I'm stuck with this uh, the rest of my life. But, you know, what, 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 a, what a terrific friend and friendship that turned out to be and how it worked out. Uh, but, you know, you encountered that um, at, at some point over the course of your career. I played a long time. And um, he was, you know, he was one of those individuals that um, he would he would grow on you because, you know, he had talent, he had the ability, he had the work ethic. And by his own right, he even turned out to be a Hall of Famer. He did. Yeah. And, and Hawk, we had him in, in Miami to end his career. We saw his last his last season. So it was a, it was a thrill to, you know, yeah, I know he was uh, used sparingly that final season, but his presence, his influence around the team certainly mattered. Hey, changing gears just a little bit, because this is kind of related to Hawk, is how important you think it is for the not just the veteran players, but the kind of historical veteran figures such as yourself, such as Tony Perez and and those who have, are the special advisor roles, because I think it's really invaluable. And speak a little bit about what you're doing with the Cubs in that regard. Yeah, I think uh, it really makes a difference, uh, especially uh, in a young player's uh, career, because uh, they know your track record. Uh, they look up to you. You make yourself available to them. And they throw a lot at you. Uh, they throw stuff, you know, personal stuff that they don't even share with uh, their employees who, uh, you know, uh, owners, coaches, managers, whomever. But um, they reach out to you in that regard uh, because they believe in you. And I've always said that, you know, if you're in the game long enough, it's probably a role that uh, you're going to fall into. So you try to make yourself accessible, available, available to those individuals. And uh, I can recall, I looked up to Al Oliver, uh, who was a teammate. You know, I played, as you mentioned, with Cromartie and Valentine. We were all the same age. So uh, we looked at each other. What are you going to, what can you say to me? Uh, you know, but I had Pete Rose, uh, who, uh, by his own right, uh, one of the uh, greatest hitters of all time, if not the greatest hitter of all time, uh, who, you know, you sit down and you have conversations with. So you have these these individuals who you, you you lock on to and, you know, you seek advice and wisdom for them. And it's just a role that you fall into as a result of experience. And, you know, I just I just look back at that and, um, you know, I just tried to to make myself available and not step on anyone's toes. I didn't want the, the coaching staff to ever think. Um, you know, that I was trying to do their job, but just assist them in any way possible, but make sure that you have the best interest of the player. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I guess you're going to be going out to Arizona for some spring training with the Cubs, right? Yes, I'll be going out. I, I probably won't put the uniform on because that's not actually what I do in uh -huh. a sense now. Uh, I may dress out and, and watch the game, but I'm only going to be out for about four or five days. So I'm uh, more geared toward um, uh, the front office now 
uh, doing that. Um, it's not even special assistant anymore, which was the job title yeah. uh, that I had with uh, with the Marlins when I was there. But um, uh, I'm one of the Hall of Famers that they uh, that they bring out, and we do more public relations. Uh, we work more with on the corporate side where we have uh, the season ticket holders come out and, you know, we kind of entertain them in a sense. And, you know, it's, it's a, it's a little bit different of a hat that I wear now. And I, I like that a little bit better. Not that I don't enjoy, I didn't enjoy putting a uniform on because I always wanted to make myself available to the player, especially the young player, but I still anyway get to do a little bit of that. Yeah. And, uh, boy, we could, uh, have you talking all day on such topics and, and for our audience, you know, you could hear why Andre Dawson's voice is so important and he has so much to add and, um, his classic is coming this weekend. Any last things, Dave, and before we, we get out of here? No, Andre, how can the audience, uh, where can they watch the classic? Just remind them of the channel and how can we find you? Are you on social media or at all? Or how can, how can we support what you're doing? <laughs> Uh, well, the game itself uh, will be uh, televised by the MLB Network, and uh, I, the games actually start on Saturday morning. And I'll be—I I think I'll be interviewed uh, when Florida and them is playing at one o'clock, uh, two o'clock Central Time. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, two one o'clock Central, two o'clock Eastern Time, and uh, I'll be on uh, for a brief segment uh, with. I'm not sure who who the commentators are going to be. I think uh, Bo Porter uh, may be one of them. It might be the same duo that was last year. But it's um, uh, it's a three-day uh, televised event, and it kicks off starting this Friday. Uh, again, I'm uncertain as to exactly the, what time the first game starts. But uh, I look forward to it. Uh, it's fun. The kids... Uh, they get the opportunity to to play before a national audience. Uh, a lot of them, which will only have this once in a lifetime opportunity, because you know the scholarship allotment is very small. Uh, so they really get that that exposure, and uh, they're excited about it. You know, I'm excited about it, and, and it kicks off their uh, 2023 baseball season. Yeah, yeah. Hawk, again, thanks. The Andre Dawson Classic coming this weekend from New Orleans. Those seven HBCU schools will be there. And then Hawk will be coming back down to South Florida for his alma mater, Southwest Miami Senior High, is honoring him as well. Andre Dawson, thanks so much, my friend, for for joining us. And all the best to you. Thank you very much. And uh, happy to be, you know, here and and, uh, just conversating with you and Hey, hit me anytime. Look forward to it. We we really appreciate it. Uh, Dave, any closing announcements, and then we'll get out of here? Just thanks to our audience again, 12,300 subscribers. I'm sure after this interview, it's going to go up even higher. We'll support the classic this weekend, of course. We'll put as much out there as we can and uh, make sure that they download, listen, like, subscribe, and, and hit me up on Facebook. I'll make sure I respond to you. Yep. And that'll do it for us. I'm Joe Forsaro. Uh, once again, thanks to Andre Dawson. Thanks to Dave D'Agostino for another great episode. And we are out of here. <laughs>